0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and with me is... Devendra Hardwar. And welcome to the show. Uh, Davindra, I think you're calling in today from Georgia, right? Visiting some family in Georgia today?
1: Yeah, calling from Atlanta on a bit of a vacation here. Um,
0: hopefully it's not much worse sounding, yeah. Hopefully you can uh, get, get in touch with those Decatur guys. Get Get on our Decatur watch list as well
1: gonna try um, to make that
0: happen yeah all right all right but uh, yeah so Davindra's calling in from from uh, Georgia if he sounds a little bit different that's why but that's not the only change here on the slash filmcast today we are obviously without Jeff Kanata. Uh, and I just want to say a few words about why that is uh, a few days ago Jeff texted me and Davindra and said hey uh, I, I need to get emergency eye surgery uh, and that's definitely three words you don't want to hear in the same <laughs> sentence, right? Never. Uh, never. in this, in, in right next to each other. You you don't wanna, you do not want to hear those words,
1: especially yeah. from somebody whose uh, visual processing of things you really respect and yeah. enjoy. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. not great.
0: Uh, you know, for Jeff, who, who much of his work, uh, both as an actor as a host and you know, like all all of his stuff, in large part depends on being able to see clearly. I know he's a huge fan of VR. And so uh, we were very concerned for Jeff. And he originally believed that he had to go through a procedure that would require him to be face down in an uncomfortable position uh, for six weeks or so, be unable Mm -hmm. to talk to people. Uh, It was going to be a brutal brutal affair uh that would have impacted both his professional life his personal life greatly oh yeah yeah the, the whole
1: idea of also not being able to talk to his kids or see them for six weeks sounds sounds terrible
0: yeah man. so that was uh pretty scary for everyone and uh and we immediately started kind of thinking like that was the reality that that would occur for Jeff is that you, you know he he had to like kind of prepare he was dealing with this information in real time he had to prepare and so we actually recorded a a slash filmcast uh, after dark uh, about this topic uh, that after dark will not be released because in the time since that after dark was recorded new information has come to light man which is that uh, he got a second opinion about his condition which is a detached retina and uh he was able to figure out a way to uh get a prognosis that was much better than what he originally had uh, i'm I'm just gonna read from his from his twitter account mm-hmm. um rather than try to you know re- represent the facts myself. I don't want to like make any mistakes um but yeah he uh he posted an update to his situation two days ago he said. Uh, First of all, I cannot thank you all enough for the outpouring of kindness and goodwill I've received over the last day or so. I'm absolutely humbled by it. You have all heartened my family and me immensely. Second, some positive news. My wonderful and amazing wife insisted on getting a second opinion, so we visited another retina specialist. Same diagnosis, but he offered to do a different procedure to repair my eye. This surgery evidently will be more intrusive in the short term, I'll have to be knocked out for it, and he says it will be more uncomfortable, but promises to reduce the risk of another detachment in the future, and even better, he says I'll have much less of the awkward positioning during recovery, and will be able to speak and maybe even read. He also thinks the recovery should be shorter. I'm taking this as a very good news, and awaits scheduling of the surgery. So the takeaway is, always get a second opinion. Also, thank you, thank you, thank you all. I'm feeling encouraged about this, and hope to be back sooner than I thought. End quote. So... Uh, When I first learned about this, that is like pretty shocking uh, that he would get two diagnoses that were, or the diagnosis was the same, but the the recommendation was very different. Um, And so this seems like a much better situation for him. He actually tweeted about it yesterday. He says it will be a vitrectomy with a scleral buckle is what he got. Uh, And he says with the buckle, I'm not expected to be out of commission nearly as long as I was originally told. So... Won't be six weeks. Sounds like it'll be a matter of like, uh, I I actually, I can't say how much time it will be, but it's going to be much less onerous than we originally thought it would be. And so I think that is the updated information. That's all we know right now. But so many people have reached out with well wishes. A couple of people have donated in Jeff's honor. I mean, all of it has been so heartening and so heartwarming. And uh, I know Jeff really appreciates it. Uh, and if he could be here tonight, he would express that to everyone. I have noticed that a lot of people want to do something to help. And I think one thing that people can do is send audio messages of encouragement Uh, for Jeff. And I, I I think what I would encourage you to do is if you want, like what I'm going to be doing is aggregating these audio messages. Uh, and so what I'd encourage you to do is feel free to email slash filmcast at gmail.com in the subject line of your email, put message for Jeff. So again, slash filmcast at gmail.com with subject line message for Jeff. Uh, I'll make a little filter and, and put all those emails into one folder uh, on my Gmail and uh, attach a voicemail. You can use uh, the, the audio recording uh, feature on your phone to uh, attach an audio file. And feel free to just send an email to slash fromcastgmail.com, subject line message for Jeff. Uh, and share some words of encouragement for Jeff. What I I would encourage you to do is uh, say where you are, uh, say what your name is, you know, and also a specific memory of Jeff uh, that you really appreciate or a specific aspect of his personality that you really appreciate. I think if you're more specific, it'll be more meaningful. Uh, And so, yeah, for those who want to kind of Help to encourage Jeff. Uh, feel free to email slash from dot Message for Jeff in subject line. Attach a voicemail uh, or audio file with a message. I will compile them all into a big audio file and then uh, send it to his wife. And he will she will play it for him as he's recuperating. I think it'll mean a lot to him. So uh, that's something you can do if you want to uh, give Jeff some support during this very challenging time. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, I, Uh, I don't know when Jeff will be back, uh, but uh, we are hoping it'll be very soon. Um, But I've conveyed all the information I know at this point. Uh, I do know that he would very much appreciate some nice audio messages from our listeners. So again, slash fromcastgmail.com, subject line message for Jeff, and uh, attach a voicemail or audio message uh, with a a specific memory or a specific praise or specific thanks. Uh, Just be as specific as possible. Um, So that is the update on the Slash Filmcast. In the meantime, it's just you and me, Davindra. It's just you and me for tonight's episode. And uh, it's going to be a pretty brief episode. We're just going to talk about uh, some of what we've been watching and then move on into a review of Ready or Not, which is uh, a new film from Fox Searchlight that was out this weekend. Uh, I did not... Know that the Has Fallen series would do so well, you know. If, if I did know that, maybe I would have uh, suggested a different uh, movie. Uh, Angel has, have, have we, you seen? Have
1: it? We, yeah, I've seen the first one, but we haven't done any of these movies right as official. Reviews,
0: we have not so. reviewed any of the Has Fallen movies as official movies on the Slash Homecast. Uh, I, I will say that it took me quite a while to even figure out that this was actually like a franchise. Because I, I know they all have the same word z- "have right. fallen" in them, but I didn't know that. Like, oh, Gerard Butler's he, like he's the guy. Mike Banning is is right. the is the concept. So I've I've not it seen any of these movies. Could easily
1: be like separate Gerard Butler action movies. Yeah, given
0: exactly. His career so far,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. Like I, I spent I was watching the trailer for Angel Has Fallen. I spent the first like minute of the trailer trying to figure out like is this connected to Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen. <laughs> Like is it is is it possible? It's just a coincidence that they all have the words "has fallen" in them. Oh yeah, totally. It it has to be one of the most unconventional ways of continuing a movie franchise using the words "has fallen." But you've seen the you've seen Olympus has fallen, right? Yes. It's it's pretty
1: dumb. I think I think I prefer was it the Channing Tatum one, which is basically the same movie, right? Uh,
0: White House Down is the Channing Tatum Roland Emmerich. We got two
1: of those movies one year, I think. Yeah.
0: Twin movies of White House Down and uh, Olympus Has Fallen. And apparently London Has Fallen was pretty silly as well. Uh, Now we have Angel Has Fallen. And I'm like... I I mean, here's the thing, Devendra, is Uh I I really can't resist a good Gerard Butler performance. In fact, we're going to get into that topic later today on the podcast. Um, But now I'm like... Angel Has Fallen did so well. Maybe I should go see it at the, at the at the cinema this weekend. We'll see. Oh man, we'll see.
1: Oh man. I mean, I, those are those movies that I think do pretty well uh, box office wise. But yeah, I I can't imagine like becoming a huge fan of that thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, let's talk about what we actually have been watching this week. I had a chance to go to the Thing Festival. The Thing Festival, uh, which you can actually find details of at thingnw.org. That's thingnorthwestnw.org. You know, and it took place in Port Townsend, Washington this past weekend, uh, where I was there along with Stephen Tobolowsky. We did a live version of the Tobolowsky Files. Thank you so much to several hundred people that showed up for that. That was awesome. Oh, nice. uh, we also did a live performance of the movie uh, an officer and a gentleman specifically the the script for an officer and a gentleman the richard gear movie have you ever seen that movie uh
1: maybe when i was a kid that is a weird thing to do a live read of well Why, like the, what was the occasion here
0: so the occasion is that this this fest this arts festival it's like a music art craft festival very cool uh very hip it took place at port townsend and an officer and a gentleman was shot at port townsend washington so the idea was that we'd do a live reading of the script at Port Townsend, Washington, where this festival takes place. Uh, I had a chance to participate in the live reading. I w- was assigned a few roles in the script directed by Megan Griffiths. Uh, I-, I was altitude chamber instructor. That's, that was my role in the live reading. Uh, there were some great actors uh, in the live read, including uh, Stephen Tobolowski, who played the narrator, John Grice. Uh, from The Pretender and from Lost and from Napoleon Dynamite. And Lindy West, the author of Shrill, uh, who uh, got a series made out of her book uh, on Hulu. And and John C. Riley was also in the live reading as well. So uh, got to do a live reading of An Officer and a Gentleman with those folks. And uh, even though that movie is very long, uh, it was a pleasure to be able to be on stage with all those awesome people. Uh, and... I forced myself to watch the movie before I did the live read because you know I, I wanted to know what I was getting into, and <laughs> that movie has yeah. not aged well. Um, it is actually kind of bad, uh, and I think that this
1: is why I'm wondering why there you know why the live reading in general, if you're going to celebrate something filmed there, uh, man, I don't know, feels like a stretch.
0: I mean the thing is that movie was considered good when it came out, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a huge hit. It made $130 million on a $6 million budget. And, uh, I think it was nominated for like five Oscars or something like, it, or four Oscars, including best actress for Deborah, Deborah Winger, best music, uh, uh, original score, best film editing and best screenplay. Like those are not minor, uh, like nominations, but, I think the movie is really, uh, I don't know if misogynistic is the right word, but it certainly has a very bleak view about women. I mean, one of the women in the movie uh, tries to kind of trap another dude into marrying her. um, And the main uh, character uh, played by Deborah Winger, like one of the main characters, uh, she has no function in the script other than to help Richard Gere uh, achieve actualization, and so yeah. I mean, it's it's a movie that's aged really poorly. It's a movie that uh, where, where the, like the female roles are pretty embarrassing and painful to reflect on when you when you watch it today. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a lot of stuff that uh, f- feels like it doesn't pay off. So, for instance, a- earlier in the movie, you meet uh, Robert Logia, uh, who plays Richard Gere's character's father in the movie. And in the script, they actually reconcile. And in the movie, you never see that character again, really, after the midway point. Um, so on a, on a basic storytelling level, I just think it's not very good. Um, so anyway, An Officer and Gentleman is a movie I watched on Amazon Prime Video. And I don't think it's aged very well. And I'm kind of baffled as to what people saw in it when it first came out. So if if you were alive and an adult when the <laughs> 1982 American film... Uh, an officer and a gentleman came out, and you know why people loved it so much. Feel free to write into us at slash from com. I'm kind of curious to learn what it was that people appreciated so much. So it
1: was the 80s, man. You don't know. Yeah.
0: So that's an officer and a gentleman. We did a live read at the Thing Festival. Uh, and that's one of the things I've been watching this week. Uh, I also read this article at the ringer.com. I don't know if you saw this piece uh, by Shay Serrano. Uh called Den of Thieves is an underappreciated heist movie <laughs> masterpiece. No. Did you I see did this not. piece? Yeah. So, no. so Den of Thieves is a movie that came out uh not too long ago. It came out in 2018, January of 2018. Uh, and it was directed by Christian Gudegast. Uh, and this movie was not reviewed very positively. It got a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm.
1: uh and so i thought that it was, by the way is what i think of like the gerard butler milieu of like you know schlocky action movies basically
0: right but he, i i think that's about right but here's the thing um i i think this movie doesn't get its due i i people thought of it as a heat ripoff and i think shay serrano uh puts it really well here in the article where he says uh that the fact that den of thieves is a heat ripoff is a true criticism and a real criticism and he says quote Let me secondly say I don't care. I just don't. If you're going to ape a heist movie while making a heist movie, you should absolutely ape the best heist movie of all time. Because even if you only 70% succeed, for example, it's like one of those situations when it's like having LeBron James at 70% is better than having someone from two-thirds of the rest of the league at 100%. You know what I'm saying? So go for it. Does
1: that qualify as masterpiece though? Like I think (laughs) when you call something unjustified masterpiece, you gotta, it's more than just like doing the thing, something else did pretty well. I don't think that makes you a masterpiece. Well, maybe he makes a a, he
0: makes out. a whole case for it in the article. You can read it and decide. If, I mean, oh, I, what you really have to do, Devendra, is watch the movie. You know, I like, think I will have.
1: It's a very dad movie, so I will probably end up watching it with my dad at some point, especially this week. Uh, I will say though, Dave, uh, how does this compare to Triple Frontier, which is a movie I remember you and Jeff maybe or no, you didn't like it too. Much. I did Jeff not like, like Triple really
0: Frontier like at all. But this is, and I think so- that
1: movie try to like really one up that formula, even though it also did some pretty formula.
0: I think Den of Thieves is so much better than Triple Frontier. It is so like I would watch oh, Den of Thieves 10 times before I watched Triple Frontier once. Triple Frontier gave us one line, uh, something like you never miss a hard out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we have a hard out or so he, you know, whatever that term is that kind of became a meme for a while uh and, and nothing else. Nothing else about that movie sticks. Den no, of Thieves. No, no
1: beautiful cinematography, no great performances. Come on.
0: Den of Thieves does some crazy batshit things. And it should be praised uh, for those things. And I, I, this movie did not get its due when it first came out. This is like Man from U.N.C.L.E. all over again. Remember when Man from U.N.C.L.E. came out and people were like, this movie is completely acceptable. There is sure. nothing sure. remarkable about Man from U.N.C.L.E. Although uh, No, I
1: remember when that movie came out, people were, and I think we were among them, uh, certainly, that – That movie ruled. If people were saying that from the beginning, the Den of Thieves thing, I I don't, I hear
0: crickets. No, people were not saying Man from Uncle ruled when it first came out. Um, This movie came out in 2015. It has a 66% Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, that is technically fresh, but a lot of people were not fans of that movie. No, Um, sure,
1: sure. Certainly, th- that is what twenty percent better than triple than uh, what <laughs>
0: <laughs> it nice. is twenty Rotten t- Tomatoes percent better. But yeah, yeah, I mean, b- like it's certainly not universal critical acclaim. Yes. Now, Agreed. Now, Agreed. survey the critical landscape today, and people freaking love Man from Uncle. They're freaking go out of their minds about Man from Uncle. Well, I, They're losing. The I see freaking gifts. About it gifts and memes and why isn't there a man from uncle sequel and like i I I stand for the people from man from uncle you know like it is non-stop amazing how man from uncle is uh and and the conversation shifts over time dave like
1: here's the thing like the people talking about man from uncle now are the ones who really like it right and still remain committed to it and i think that's what happens over time right the the hardcore fans just become the dominant voice whereas when a movie's first released, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of everybody and it may not be everybody's cup of tea. Um, I will say, is this uh, movie more batshit than Law Abiding Citizen, another great Gerard Butler entry?
0: It is not more batshit than Law Abiding Citizen, oh. but I would say it gets about 30% of the way there. And <laughs> so it has...
1: You give it 70% heat, uh, 30% Law Abiding Citizen. Yes. And you get uh, you get Thieves. You get Den of Thieves. Right. And, and
0: right. a, a really, one of Gerard Butler's great hammy performances. He is great in this. I think the ensemble they get is great in this. And I think Den of Thieves is worth a revisit. Like Culturally, we need to revisit how we classify Den of Thieves. <laughs> like, it, it is a forgotten piece of heist movie. It, it is a right. forgotten piece of pop culture that I think is going to make a resurgence uh, in the near future. And uh, you should check it out. You should you check it know, out, What kind of
1: annoys me, though, is whenever we have this kind of commentary around things that were, you know, once forgotten or once maybe not loved enough, it always has to be, this was a masterpiece <laughs> that, you know, we didn't see at the time. You can't just be like, hey, that movie's pretty good. It's better than people thought. No, it's a masterpiece. And here is why it is one of the best movies ever made. And that tone of conversation kind of annoys me, especially if I go and watch this movie and it's nowhere near, you know, what they're saying.
0: Well, uh, Devendra, I mean... Uh, you got to get those clicks somehow. You know what you I mean? If, if you're like, Dead of Thieves is actually a completely acceptable heist movie, uh, then that's just not going to get as much attention as if you call it a masterpiece.
1: probably closer to the truth, yeah.
0: I'm not impugning Shea Serrano's, uh motivations or, or methods at all. I think I'm willing to believe that he believes that it's a masterpiece, but yeah. Um, Devendra, I think you will enjoy it as a heat knockoff that has, well, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about what happens at the end but suffice to say, does it have
1: a sad Ben Affleck, Dave?
0: Does it have a sad Ben Affleck? Uh, I don't even know. Are, are we talking about the town? Is that what's happening? We're
1: talking about Triple Frontier.
0: Oh, Triple Frontier. Okay, there's that a is, lot is, of sad that is, Affleck. That is I guess. Peak
1: sad Ben Affleck. Okay.
0: I, I literally thought you were talking about the town just now. That's um, also true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. So, *Den of Thieves*. I, I checked that out again. I <laughs> mostly agree with Shea Serrano's assessment. Uh, it is pretty good and people shouldn't have hated on it and like man from uncle this movie's going to come back baby okay divindro what have you been watching
1: uh yeah i just want to shout out the second season of succession which i haven't had a chance to talk about yet and i just want to say like this show continues to be as amazing as it was i think towards the second half of the first season um it is funny i, I started re-watching the first season as well and it's like it's not you know it's it's good it's really entertaining but it definitely took a while to grow into being this biting satire of ultra rich Americans and ultra rich like media culture and media families and that sort of thing. And this season just continues that I have just have to say, it's still amazing. Uh, I know you're doing a a recap podcast of it, Dave. Um, If anybody else is not watching that show, I'm this is the thing I've been evangelizing for the past year, basically Uh, since I, I think I was the one who got you guys to watch succession in the first place. Right um so yeah
0: just watch i actually think that's true i actually think that's true yeah. i think i was, I was like not... i
1: remember exactly i was sick during the summer and i just like sat down one saturday and watched all the succession and then i started spreading the gospel and uh yeah got more people into it so that's i'm glad i'm glad this is where we are now and more people are watching it but uh, i'm sure there are some people who've held off definitely definitely check it out um this most recent episode uh the third i think ties directly into the movie we're going to be talking about today too.
0: Yeah, it's very similar in terms of tone and color palette. Uh, So that's season two, episode three of Succession called, uh, I think, Hunting. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting episode that feels like a departure from the rest of the series. But in any case, yeah, I'm recapping the show weekly with Tara Ariano. My first time working with her on a podcast. And I would recommend everyone check it out at SuccessionPodcast.com. But Succession season two is on HBO right now. It's my favorite show on television you should be watching. Catch up. Catch up. Here, I will say this. You should power through the first few episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it by the time you get to episode six of season one, you're probably not going to like the show. Um, but try to get to at least episode six because there's a nice little arc that happens in the first six episodes of yes. that. Um, yes. If you get to that episode and you you know don't like the show, then you're probably out forever. But if you're like me, it's going to hook you. So, yeah. Anyway. So that's what we've been watching this week, Succession season two. Uh, all right, let's move on to our review. Before we get to that, though, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast: Kelly Fitzgerald, Colin Gooding, Walter Braylish the Third, or the guy who Walter is the Walter. Ellen from Melbourne, Australia, Tobias from Berlin, and James Stewart. Thank you so much for your donations. Thanks also to new subscribers, Alex Tabaldo. Uh, uh, thanks so much for contributing at the rate of $2 per month. Also want to say that a lot of people shouted out Jeff Canada in their donations this week. Want to acknowledge that. And again, if you want to get some audio files, Jeff, just email slash filmcast gmail.com with the subject line message for Jeff and attach an audio file. I'll compile them at the end of this week. Send them to Jeff. Uh, If you want to support what we do here on the podcast, you can always go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmcast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page, or go to PayPal.me filmcast. That's PayPal.me Slash the word Filmcast. Uh, Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship, but if you do want to support us uh, with some cash, we'd appreciate it. You can always help us out without any money whatsoever. Just go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the SlashFilmcast. I mean, that really does help us to stand out amongst the rest of the podcasts that are out there. So that's a free thing you can do to help us out. Anyway, let's get into our review today of Ready or Not. I can't believe that in half an hour, I will be a part of the Lodomus Gaming Dynasty Empire. Uh, Dominion, we prefer Dominion. I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family. There's just one more thing and then you are officially part of the family. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game? What game? Hide and seek, are we really gonna play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere, we then tried to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? I know you're in here. That was from the trailer of Ready or Not, a new film by directors Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett. It was written by Guy Busick and Ryan Murphy. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A Bride's Wedding Night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. This is one of those late summer potentially sleeper hits. Seems like a very low budget movie. Seems like a fairly original movie. Not based on an existing property other than Hide and Go Seek. Um, and I, I was very much looking forward to this movie, Davindra, especially after the summer of sequels and franchises that we've had. All that said, what did you think of Ready or Not?
1: Oh, I, yeah, I love this movie. Um, I, I'm glad this came out the week I was actually in Atlanta cause I was able to go with my brother and my wife and we were actually able to get away from the baby for a bit to see a movie together. So that was very nice. And yeah, it's, it's a fun summer you know, horror comedy romp. And I think this is the sort of thing they'll probably do really well on video on demand. If people aren't really getting out to the theaters for this, I haven't really checked box office. Uh, But I, I like the concept. I think it's really well executed. I think there are some great emotional beats here throughout. And mostly I enjoyed the performance of Samara weaving. Who's an actress I've, you know, just really grown to appreciate over the years. She's been some crazy stuff. And I think she always ends up being the standout person to watch there so she was in mayhem which was a lot of fun from a couple of years ago and uh, she was in smilf as well and uh, at the tv show and there were there was some controversy around that around how she was treated on the set um a lot of I people know her
0: probably uh, yeah. in um three billboards outside ebbing missouri yes yeah.
1: yes she's in that as well so glad to see her like once again in a leading role like just really kicking ass and i think you know doing something different with the sort of lead um, she does kind of end up being the horror movie final girl, but I think there's a lot of interesting things going on here too. And the, I don't know. I think technically it's a well done movie. I think the structure and the, the overall commentary around how rich people view the world is, uh, it's not you know new, but it's certainly told in a way that I don't think we've really seen before. Uh, I will say though, it was really funny seeing this movie a couple of days after that episode of succession, which has a, a similar sequence around rich people, uh, basically demeaning others, you know, in, in, a, in a way to control them, I guess. Uh, but yeah, th- those are my thoughts. What did you think, Dave?
0: Well, Devindra, in the absence of Jeff Kanata, I'm going to try to sum up my thoughts on this movie in the form of a limerick. All right. Got to keep the fire burning. Yeah. Dark secrets lie behind a great door. A dark truth that shakes you to your core. Some f- <laughs> some fun hide-and-go-seek, but it's not for the weak. It's a game where the rich eat the poor. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I mean, it, it's okay. It doesn't do a great job of expressing my opinion on the film, but it does a good job of summarizing the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I quite enjoyed this movie. I, I think... Uh, you've already pointed out a lot of the things that are good about it. One of them is the lead performance by Smara Weaving. Uh, She is extremely charismatic. She performs virtually the entire film wearing a wedding dress. Apparently they had something like 17 wedding dresses like that in gradual states of disrepair that she wears throughout the course of the film yeah. uh, it, but it's a striking image it's like the the headline image of the poster it's an image that's very much in the, the trailers and uh, just the idea of her wearing this dress and flummoxing all all these rich people that she's going up against is it's really just visually striking
1: it's very much a reflection of like the bride from uh, Kill Bill 2 that whole poster except instead of a sword she has a a giant gun and ammo
0: yeah Um, and I I quite enjoyed her I think that as a piece of horror filmmaking it's actually really skillful I mean Mm -hmm. they set like at this point I've seen I don't know a dozen, two dozen movies that takes place in, like, one location, right? Like, horror films set in one location. And it can be really difficult to make that feel interesting. It can be very difficult to make that look interesting. And I think this movie really does it because, uh, you know, something that uh, our colleague Jeff Kanata would often say when we're talking about movies like Green Room is you want the characters to be smarter than you. Like, you want them to do things... That you would do, or even better, that you wish you would think to do, and uh, you, you what you don't want is for the audience to be ahead of the character. You don't want the audience to think, "Oh, why isn't this character doing blank? Why aren't they doing blank?" You know, uh, you want the audience to feel like they need to catch up with the, the main character. And I, I definitely, I don't know if I felt like this character is like way ahead of me, but this character definitely. Was smart about it, you know. Like they, they weren't dumb. Uh, they were doing things that I felt like I would do to extricate myself from this situation, and encountering obstacles that felt very organic and reasonable given the outlandish premise
1: yeah while also reacting to everything i think pretty realistically and dramatically well like it's it all kind of makes sense it all fits into place it doesn't just feel like a horror movie template sometimes i think some movies uh you know when when they try to upend these templates they try to make their characters too badass or even too smart and this doesn't feel like that this feels just real to me
0: I thought the color palette of the movie was really interesting. The vast majority of it felt almost like natural light. Like mm-hmm. they very use like yeah. yeah, this very warm kind of tungsteny light for almost like it's if you look at the poster, it's all like orange. There's not a trace of blue in that poster. Uh, and I think that uh that's just an interesting way to shoot a movie like this cuz it it actually is pretty immersive you know like mm-hmm. you feel like you're there at this location not that there's like uh you know a, a guy with a camera and another person with lights right off the camera like right outside of the frame you feel like oh this is like almost documentary like that they just they entered this mansion and just kind of um uh stayed there uh, and shot what was happening. Uh, and I thought that was a, a, a cool choice that gives the movie a very distinctive look. So, yeah. Uh, anything else we have to say about the other actors in this movie? I mean, yeah, the, the I one... Mean, yeah, there's some
1: great stuff. I will say, like, Adam Brody, I think, does some great work in this movie. He's a guy I've always really enjoyed, mainly since the OC. And seeing him, this this character almost feels like he is the OC guy uh, from an alternate universe uh, set in the future in a way, just tired of the rich people. And yeah, there, there's just a lot going on there. I like the conflict he has as a character and also just uh, shout out to Henry Zerny. Yes. Who is always a reliable uh, douchebag, rich guy, like just <laughs> so reliable. Uh, he was reliable. He, he was great in sharp objects. Uh, I also really liked him in revenge where he was basically the big bad guy and his role was, was sort of like being the Joker, as just, like, a rich douchebag. And, yeah, it, it's fun. It, it's a good role for him, at
0: least. I, I mean, going back all the way to Mission Impossible 1 and, like, Clear he's and Present Danger, yeah, you know, like, yeah. these are these are movies that were seminal to my upbringing, and watching Henry Czerny, uh kind of... <laughs> I, I, I like to imagine that all Henry Zernie movies take place in the same cinematic universe, uh-huh. and that this movie simply chronicles his mental decline to the point where he's willing to... Subject, you know, potential family members to this horrible game uh, that takes place.
1: You could believe you could believe that somebody with that sense of like entitlement and who lives in the world of rich people uh, can justify this game in their minds. I also really liked Andy McDowell in this movie uh, just because she is somebody coming kind of from outside this family while also being a big part of like why this this insane game is happening. And I also love Andy McDowell as an actress, and it's great to see her always.
0: I like Andy McDowell a lot, but I felt like her performance in this movie was a little bit over the top. Yeah. It felt like a little <laughs> bit from a different movie. I mean, the movie's pretty goofy. So maybe maybe I'm like, the movie is, is yeah. kind of wacky. Sometimes it edges up too close to that line of being wacky. It, it, it almost feels like it's not taking itself seriously sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of feel like, for most of the movie you do need to take this ridiculous premise seriously if you want the audience to, to latch onto yeah. an emotionally like,
1: there there are certainly key moments where I think it's ridiculous to the point of being really funny. I don't think it's like Cabin in the Woods or anything. But it's it's funny. It has its great funny
0: moments. You need you you need the characters to take the premise deadly seriously. Yes, uh, because the humor comes from the premise, and, and like if every if people on the cast are like, oh, I'm in a funny movie, you know, like it, it kind of breaks the spell a little bit for me. And I felt like at moments, at times, some of the actors, including Andy McDowell. Uh, kind of broke that spell a little bit. Reminded me that I was watching a ridiculous movie versus mm-hmm. like, hey, this is a ridiculous movie that everyone just happens to be really serious about. So uh, anyway, those are our overall thoughts on Ready or Not. Shall we get into some spoilers for the movie? Sure. All right, spoilers for Ready or Not coming right now. Now you're looking for the secret. you going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because of course. You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out who's in the box i have been dying to tell you i want to tell you my secret you want to be fooled one of the more interesting aspects of this movie is that i think for most of the movie it plays as an allegory about uh the rich and the poor right and there's this idea i think among the ultra wealthy that in order for them to be wealthy somebody needs to suffer right uh, and this is not an idea that's new. This is an idea that goes back like many decades, if not centuries. That I think many people think of the uh, the acquisition of wealth as a zero sum game. That it's like, hey, like certain classes must be subjugated in order for me to continue uh, to enjoy my life. And I think real life is more complicated than that. And so, but 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 the idea that all these characters think, hey, uh, we need to play this perverse game in order to uh literally survive right right right. is is clearly an allegory about like uh class stratification in our real world uh and that's how most of the movie felt to me and i i quite enjoyed that and then the ending kind of is just felt like ridiculous for ridiculous (laughs) sake you know like
1: it it keeps it going though like it, it takes that allegory And I think it makes it it makes it literal in a supernatural way. But I think the allegory still stands, right? Like these people basically making a deal with the devil to be rich and successful. But but the the you know, the Twilight Zone twist is that, you know, occasionally you you got you got to get a little bit of a sacrifice going or your entire family dies, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's the bargain you make. And I think a lot of people would easily make that bargain. You know, like you look at the state of like, uh, yeah, uh, you look at celebrity culture today or the people trying to be rich or pretending to be rich. Like that's that's it. Like uh, uh, certain people in power in this country, uh, I'm pretty sure at the drop of a hat, they would make that deal for their family. Sure.
0: I guess my question for you is when the people start exploding at the end and you realize that their fears are actually their <laughs> fears right. are actually yeah. justified. Right. Yes. Um, What was your reaction? Were you like, yes, I'm so here for this because I was a little bit disappointed. I'm like, oh, yeah because I actually think the, I mean, I was a little disappointed in the sense that I kind of wanted the movie to follow through with the allegory all the way and reveal these rich people's concerns to be meaningless, right? But their concerns are actually mm -hmm. justified at the end. And fair enough, the movie is supposed to be a fun, you know, horror comedy, like you said. Maybe it's not really, it's not really concerned with being an allegory and that's fine. But it did feel like kind of a missed opportunity what did you think of the ending
1: i i feel like well first of all i i like when you know movies that that it tried to pull the rug out from under us too like it gave us the possibility the glimpse that oh this was all a lie and they they just you know are just insane people but i don't think by leading into the the actual supernatural bits getting the glimpse of the devil um for me that also works too because you could certainly point to many many You know, families of influence and wealth in America, in the world, whose, um, you know, whose legacies are built upon the blood and sweats and sacrifice of the people under them, you know, and I look at it that way. And like, it's it still works. It's it's certainly a much more blunt way of telling that story. But I think it still works. and It's still sadly applicable to today.
0: One of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie and uh, that is something that's raised in the most recent episode of Succession that you mentioned, Devendra, mm-hmm. is that in many ways, the rich live by a different set of laws, right? Yes. Uh, and the fact that they live in these massive houses, one feeling you get when you enter one of these places or watch like a depiction of one of these places is like anything could happen, right? Anything could happen. You're entering in- a kingdom of, of completely different
1: rules and laws right and
0: anything could happen and and like no one would ever have to know about it you know what i mean um and that idea is cer- certainly brought forth in succession this week but it's also brought forth in this movie where uh people have been murdered in in this house and they just simply discard <laughs> their bodies in a hole right yeah. and it's like oh if people like what happens to those uh, people come asking questions like whatever does it doesn't matter. Like no one's gonna suspect them, and if they do, like they have the best lawyers in the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you die, they'll just throw your body in a hole. Like that's kind of what it, it what is implied in this movie is like, hey, no one will ever find you because like the the rich live by a whole different set of rules. Uh, and I, I also thought,
1: love, by the way, that this movie hints at other rich families uh, dealing with the same thing. Yeah. You know, so it's not just this family. It is sort of like, oh, this is why. Yeah. This is why these people are uh, you know, are also rich. And also like it helps to perpetuate the uh, the fear of what they're dealing with, too. Like they think there is an actual threat because other people have been, uh, you know, their families have been obliterated because of this curse as well. Or so they think.
0: There's a whole Ready or Not cinematic universe uh-huh. uh, going on out there. But yeah, all, all that said, it is a movie I think you shouldn't think too hard about because, you know, there, there are those questions that remain like, okay, so people are murdered or what what happen, like what happens to Samara Weaving's character after this movie? Like how, how does she explain like she's doesn't come out of this looking good, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I th- I think the same is like Get Out and a
1: lot of horror movies too, right? The the yeah. aftermath is certainly more complicated than what came before in some ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like you just never know what's mm-hmm. what's going to happen afterwards. So
1: I, I will say, like I, I do like the uh, the recurring gag of killing the uh, the help, which is again very blunt commentary. But I think the way it goes around, I think is hilarious. And I really love the uh, the really the butler who's just way too into his job, which is really taking the idea of the like noble loyal butler a little too far. It's just funny in that respect.
0: It's also funny they gave him a little like character uh, moment where he's like conducting the orchestra mm-hmm. in his head and it's blocking out the audio and he can't hear and as a result like something terrible happens to him. I mean, there's just lots of little touches like that that <laughs> I appreciate. Like, like I I think my admiration of the storytelling is best sum- summed up in the moment when Samara Weaving's character gets to the front gate mm-hmm. and she like busts the gate open and like squeezes yeah. through and it like with a hole in her hand and, rips yeah, open she, her
1: midsection. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And she like rips through her dress and also like her skin and runs away. And you're like, Oh dude, she's completely free at this the point. car's like, coming. She's good. She's, she's good. good. She's good. Um, but then like, then you see that like, because of that she left a portion of the dress on the gate and that's how the butler guy knows to like get mm-hmm. to her. that's just really in my opinion that's just good storytelling that's that's really good
1: for me though that moment i I think the aftermath of that moment she gets out the car is coming she waves for help and the guy just shouts get off the road and she (laughs) shouts fucking rich people like again very blunt but i think also oh you could see that happening you could just so easily (laughs) see that happening in real life
0: yeah yeah totally uh, all right, any other thoughts on Ready or Not? I think it's super fun. I think it's a movie that did okay at the box office. It mm-hmm. probably was very cheap to make. I think, like you, Devendra, it's going to find its home on uh, home video. Like, yeah. a lot is of people also, are going to check this
1: out. Is this one of the last Fox Searchlight movies, right? Isn't that whole thing going away? It is not clear what is going to happen with Fox Searchlight. Yeah, I felt, I felt a pang of uh, you know sadness when I saw that logo because I was like, you know, this is the sort of thing this is a nice, small, original movie, not part of a franchise. Uh, with, I was talking to you before. It is really weird to go into a movie and not really know who the directors are, who the writers are. And I've seen, like, shorts that some of these guys have done uh, on VHS, I believe, and uh, Southbound. Uh, but I don't remember their names. You know, their work hasn't really impacted me that much. And it, it took me as a, as a bit of a surprise as to how much I love this movie. So, I don't know. I feel like we're missing out on these little... I don't know, small independent gems in some way by losing a label like that, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, whatever the case, you should support movies like Ready or Not in theaters. You know, uh, don't wait till they get home on home video. Like, tell signal with your wallet that you want more fun movies like this to exist uh, and to be shown on the big screen. I think it's certainly. Uh, worth a trip. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely with a crowd. So I
1: didn't have a big crowd, but the, the, the few people there certainly enjoyed it too, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, that's our thoughts on Ready or Not, uh, and that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. It's it's a pretty short episode today because uh, there's only two of us, uh, and we haven't been watching that much stuff because I was uh, away at Thing Festival, but uh, here we are at the end of uh, the episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at com. Email us at gmail.com Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, devindra where can you find more of your work on the internet?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at @devindra. I write about tech at engadget.com. Still going to be trying to do my tech podcast at nomoretech.net, though I don't know. The format of that may be changing down the line. And keep an eye out at Engadget because we may be reviving the podcast there soon.
0: Ooh, exciting. Yes. Um, Well, I'm doing a new podcast called Culturally Relevant. This week I had on Patrick Willems where we discussed The Matrix 4 and also counted down our top five moments from The Matrix, uh, Revolutions, and The Matrix Reloaded. So check that out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week we're going to be reviewing uh, or – we're not going to be reviewing anything. We're actually going to be recording the uh, follow-up to the Summer Movie Wager, one of our most popular uh, episodes of the year where we run down the results of the Summer Movie Wager and as Jeff might say, it's still anyone's game at this point, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's still anyone's game.
1: With uh, a couple days left until Labor Day. Yep. Yep.
0: All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We <laughs>